0: Hello and welcome to this session on expansion of animal advocacy and concern for wild animal suffering in India with Aditya SK. I'm Brian and I'll be the MC for this session. We'll be starting with a 16-minute talk by Aditya, then we'll move on to a live Q&A session where he, he will respond to some of your questions. Now it is my pleasure to introduce our speaker for this session. Aditya is currently working with animal ethics. On Animal Advocacy and Welfare Biology with Outreach Coordination and Research in India. His interest is in addressing suffering risks for all sentient beings through education and academic outreach. He is also currently pursuing graduation in animal protection law and volunteers with Fed to prepare for global catastrophic risks in India. Uh, please be aware that Aditya's slides include some images of animals uh, suffering in the wild which some viewers may find disturbing. But without further ado, here's Aditya.
1: Thank you and hello everyone. My name is Aditya and I'm the coordinator for Animal Ethics in India. Today, I'm going to talk to you about expanding animal advocacy and especially about raising concern for wild animal suffering in India. To give you a little bit of context about why we think working in India is important. India has a population of 1.4 billion people And along with the growing population and rapid urbanization, India is experiencing a growing middle class population, which is more interested towards animal based products and value added products. Since 2019, when India became the fifth largest economy in the world, animal agriculture and and farming has been one of the most important part of the economy, contributing to 16% of the national GDP and over 20.5 million people are working in this sector. Indian dairy industry is of particular importance valued around 70 billion US dollars, it accounts for 67% of the value of Indian animal agriculture system. This along with other reasons like growing income uh, of the population, the growing population and migration of people from the rural to the urban areas, all of these are contributing to an increased demand for animal-based products. And this demand is expected to increase rapidly in the future. One such projection is that uh, there would be an increase in the production of animal-based products by 300% for certain animal products uh, by, by 2030. And as you can see, India is leading in the production of most of these products compared to the other countries in the future, except for the cow and steered meat. One another thing which, uh, uh, which would uh, impact how our work in India works is that 27% of the Indian population identify themselves as vegetarians. It is important to note here that uh, most of the vegetarians who follow this lifestyle don't do so uh, due to the concern for animal suffering. Most of them do this due to religious and cultural reasons. And again, there are many vegetarians, uh, there are many variations, sorry, among vegetarians. And talking a little bit more about the consumption pattern of animal products in India, dairy uh, dairy consumption is similar to the global average consumption of dairy. Uh, with the consumption varying substantially across the regions in India. Meat products, however, are remarkably low in India, with uh, the Indian Council for Agriculture Research estimating it to be 5 kg per capita per year compared to the global average of 40 kg per capita per year. However, this is projected to increase by three times by 2050 uh, due to the reasons I mentioned earlier. To give you a little bit of insight into the historical and cultural uh, attitudes towards sentient beings. Uh, India is a secular country and it has multiple religions. Mainly it's Hinduism, Sikhism, Jainism, Islam and Christianity. These are the religions which have the majority of the population in India. Three of the religions share something called as Ahimsa. This concept of Ahimsa which means not hurting or harming sentient beings. This concept was exemplified by Mahatma Gandhi during the independence movement as a way of life. There's also a very strong Hindu belief that humans are not much more significant than animals and that we should have an attitude of care, respect and compassion towards animals. This is an example of a tribe uh, which shows a, a lot of compassion for animals where they treat animals as part of their family and they hold them in very high regard. Coming to the attitudes of uh, the law and the justice system towards animal protection in India. India has uh, one of the world's best animal protection laws, rules and acts, and they're very extensive. Uh, And also in theory, they are very progressive. In the mid 1950s, when uh, India had just achieved its independence, uh, the laws that existed at that time used to protect animals only uh, to the extent that they did not harm humans. As an example, Uh, uh, killing of animals in public uh, was banned uh, because it would traumatize the humans who witnessed that killing. So in that sense, it was very anthropocentric. But since then, we have made substantial progress. And there have been many influential rulings by the Supreme Court of India, uh, considering the interests of non-human animals and not viewing them as instrumental uh, to achieving human goals. But the major problem is that these laws are very rarely enforced. And the penalties for violating these laws are very low. Part of the reason for this is that there is very low concern among uh, citizens of India regarding the harms that animals go through. This gives us a huge prospect to, uh, to intervene and to educate and use education and academic outreach and outreach to educate the public about anti-speciesism and why we need to care about the harms that animals go through. This has a huge potential to affect the, the way people uh, treat animals, the way, the attitudes that people have towards non-human animals, which can in turn uh, improve the situation of animals, uh, non-human animals in India. And for those of you who are not aware of speciesism, speciesism is a form of discrimination, discrimination against individuals who don't belong to a certain species. Just based on their species membership, disregarding the interests of a particular being is called a speciesism. This is similar to the other forms of discrimination, like racism and sexism, where due to an arbitrary or an unjustified reason, we would disregard the interests of an individual. When we reject speciesism, it does not mean that we treat animals in the same way we treat humans. What it means is that we consider their interests equally and we treat them in a way where we respect their interests. Another thing that entails when we reject speciesism, is that we are not only against harming animals, but we are also actively in favor of helping them whenever it is possible. This is a very important point, and let me tell you why. Most of the animal advocates feel that what's enough is us not harming animals, and humans should not harm animals. But that's not enough. In nature, in the wild, this brings me to the point of wild animal suffering. In the wild, animals suffer from a lot of harms which are not human-caused. They suffer harms which are caused by natural elements. But most of the animal advocates feel that we should not interfere in the wild and help them because that would be disrupting the harmony. The perception which they have in their mind is that in the wild animals live a life of harmony. It's very idyllic and they live a life full of positive experiences. But let me show you why that is not necessarily true. In the wild the animals suffer from extreme weather conditions like extreme cold. As we can see these wild donkeys suffering and frozen. Similarly, animals also suffer during droughts and famines where they lose their uh, source of food, water, and in search of food and water, they spend so many days that they uh, usually end up dying of thirst and starvation, which is a very painful way to die. Not only that, diseases are more common than you think. Uh, animals in the wild face uh, a frequent uh, uh, infection of diseases. For example, the rabbit here is facing Lycotomaxis, which is a very painful and stressful a disease which usually ends up in the animal dying. So we, as humans, we we have the capacity to vaccinate or immunize against possible diseases and give medicines to us, uh, to the uh, to our fellow humans. But animals do not have this luxury. We do intervene in the wild. Let me tell you, we do intervene in the wild to vaccinate animals only if they affect humans. I will tell you uh, an example of that future in the future. But uh, yeah, and moving on. Animals also suffer in the wild due to terrible weather uh, climatic conditions, one of which is floods. Uh, This is an example of Kaziranga National Park, which is flooded every year and where 90% of the uh, park's surface is flooded with water from the Brahmaputra River. Many animals perish during these floods and most of them drown drown and suffer and usually end up dying. Our government has paid heed to this and is trying to help them, but that's not enough. Uh, our government only tries to help aesthetic and uh, valuable species, which are valuable for the co- uh, conservation purposes. But most of the invertebrates and vertebrates, which are not considered valuable, they end up dying in painful ways. And not only that, most of the animals, they come out of the forest into human settlements in search of food and shelter. And because that would affect the profits or the livelihoods of humans, humans uh, or the government resorts to hunting or killing these animals. There are other ways of tackling this, but because we disregard their interests, we, we choose the way which is harmful for them. And apart from that, the reproductive strategies in the wild is one of the most neglected areas of suffering for animals. Animals in the wild reproduce, uh, the most common way of reproduction uh, for animals in the wild is through giving birth to several offsprings, out of which only very few survive. For, for uh, some mammals, uh, like humans or chimpanzees or elephants, they give birth to few offsprings and and give the animals a lot of care so that these animals reach to the adulthood. But that's not the case for the majority of the animals in the wild. I'll give you two examples. One is the example of a turtle, which gives birth to 300 eggs out of which majority of them die within the fir- first few days. They die due to uh, getting disoriented and coming into human uh, Human pathways where uh, they are crushed by a car, or they are eaten by predators like uh, uh, like lobsters, or they they die of thirst and starvation or diseases. This happens in the in the first few days. So their existence is filled with pain and misery, and it's very brief. And then they die. Another example is that of a bullfrog, which gives birth to ten thousand offsprings. Out of these ten thousand offspring offsprings, majority of them uh, die, and only one percent of them survive. So you can imagine the fate of the 9,000 other sentient offsprings, which become sentient. And the way they die is through parasites, predation, uh, thirst, hunger. This and the reasons that I've mentioned before gives us a reason to expect that majority of the animals that come into existence in the wild live lives which are very brief and filled with pain and suffering. When we reject speciesism, we should acknowledge the suffering that these animals are going through. And we should also try to help them whenever it is possible. You might think that the suffering is so huge that what can we do to help them? But yes, it is possible to help them. Humans do try to intervene in the wild and help animals. For example, in India, elephants are considered auspicious and are culturally and also for conservation reasons, uh, conservation reasons very valuable. So India has uh, constructed its first specialized hospital for elephants in Mathura. And also there are feeding programs during droughts in Rajasthan where uh, large scale feeding programs are conducted so that animals which they consider dear uh, do not uh, perish or do not die. So they make sure that these animals uh, get food. And also in Turkey, this was during the extreme cold conditions when there was not enough food for the deers. They they gave a lot of food and using these tray cans and animals did actually benefit from consuming these uh, the food which was given uh, from the tray cans. So it is possible to help them. And another way in which animals suffer, as I mentioned, was due to diseases. And humans have been studying ways to uh, vaccinate animals against diseases like rabies. The reason why they do this is not out of concern for the individual animal, but because this disease, the rabies, which is a zoonotic disease, can pass on to the domestic animals from the wild animals, and then from there pass on to the humans. So for instrumental reasons, we vaccinate them, but it is actually helping the animals. This gives us an example that it is possible to help animals. Uh, In this case, the vaccine was uh, put into the biscuits and dropped from helicopters. And this, this was a major success in the Northern America where they were largely able to eradicate rabies. So to tell you a little bit more about what animal ethics is doing to help uh, create awareness about speciesism and wild animal suffering. One of the major things we do is we make our work widely available and we put our information on our website so that other activists can also use this and educate themselves and educate the people around them. That's one of the major things we do, which is outreach. Apart from that, we also conduct workshops and uh, seminars in universities, which I'll be talking about. Especially in India, a lot of people are unaware about this concept of speciesism and wild animal suffering. As I said, the usual uh, uh, the user perception which people have is that animals in the wild are living in a very positive state and we should not interfere there. But again, we have given arguments for this and against this in our website. And we have recently made this available in Hindi, which is the most widely spoken language in the country. And this information is not present anywhere else. Ours is the only website. So this makes this kind of information available to 306 million native speakers in the country. Yes. Uh, and also we are giving talks, seminars and uh, talks and seminars in uh, universities and colleges. Uh, what we what we are uh, promoting is the field of welfare biology. For those who, uh, those of you who are not aware, welfare biology is an interdisciplinary field of academic study where we include the life sciences, uh, which includes biology, zoology, animal biology and ecology and all these sciences which study uh, how animals uh, live in the wild. Although they don't study it for the sake of individual well-being, welfare biology is a study of how animals' lives in the wild can be improved from the perspective of their well-being. So we have been giving talks, seminars, uh, educating people, educating academics and uh, about how animals uh, are affected in the wild. So this is how we are trying to uh, encourage uh, academics uh, to pursue more research into welfare biology and to understand the situation of animals in the wild and what we can do to help them. Another way in which we are trying to create awareness about this is we have released a wild animal suffering course, uh, which is... Available on the YouTube channel, uh, on the channel Animal Ethics, where we have released 18 videos uh, covering in detail about the concept of wild animal suffering and how animals suffer in the wild. And this would be uh, the best starting point for anyone who's interested in wild animal suffering. I would encourage all of you to go ahead and check this out. And yes, so this is the kind of work that we are doing. As I've shown you, uh, it is very, very important that we reject speciesism and we show concern towards non-human animals and all sentient beings. Uh, So... Given, given, uh, given this huge potential to create change, uh, advocating strategically to policymakers, decision makers, academics, and general public and animal advocates uh, could potentially influence a structural change, which could help make the lives of these sentient beings better. With that said, I'd like to thank you so much for your attention. And I would urge you to let's send speciesism today. And if you are interested in contributing to us, I would uh I would gladly welcome you to send me a mail. We are uh, accepting support of any kind that you can offer. And yes, thank you so much.
0: All right, thank you for that talk, Aditya. So we'll kick off with the first question. Uh, Are there any untoward ecological implications of caring for all wild animal lives? So as you mentioned, a lot of animals reproduce in large numbers with low expectation of child survival. And it seems that saving, say, all thousands thousands of the turtle offspring would upset ecological balances. So what are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Again, to understand how uh, saving all of them affects the environment uh, or affects the ecosystem or the balance, which is there, we need to study more. We need to uh, do more research into how we can help these animals and how helping these animals will affect the rest of the sentient beings that depend on these animals. So, uh, yeah, what is important here is to study the effects and also the consequences of saving these animals. Uh, there are ways to help them without spoiling the balance or, or without affecting the ecological, uh, dependence, which other sentient beings have. So again, uh, some of the organizations that are working on wild animal suffering are looking into uh, the other ways also to help these animals. Uh, for example, contraception or encouraging, uh, ecosystem, which, uh, which promotes uh, lesser of the lesser population of these animals uh, which in turn will reduce the am- total amount of suffering uh, caused due to these uh, offsprings uh, being born and dying soon after they are born yeah
0: all right so how have you or animal ethics worked with other organizations in the ea movement working on wild animal suffering in the past
1: Right. Uh, so in the ESphere, ES at least, uh, there are three ma- main organizations that are working on wild animal suffering, animal ethics, think priorities, and wild animal initiative. And we have had meetings with them to collaborate on, uh, how best we can help the animals in the wild. And we have, uh, own, uh all the three of us have different strategies and different uh, messaging. Uh, animal ethics in, uh, in particular focuses on anti-speciesism and why we need to uh, give, uh, why we need to raise concern for uh, wild animal suffering because they are sentient beings living in the wild. So again, uh, different organizations are focusing on research and also on different kinds of messaging. Uh, animal ethics, in particular, focuses on the negative aspect of it, which is the wild animal suffering part of. It. Yeah. So I think there are these nuances which exist, but we've been collaborating with them to uh, create more awareness and do more research into these uh, into the field of welfare biology.
0: Yeah. All right. And then, so what interventions does animal ethics think are highly effective at reducing wild animal suffering currently?
1: Cool. Good question. Yeah, so uh, we've done a qualitative study where we've uh, surveyed uh, different scientists and academics working in this uh, field, and we've tried to uh, get their opinions on uh, the this uh, cause area of wild animal suffering and how do they think, uh, what are the attitudes, existing attitudes uh, towards uh, the suffering of wild animals and what do they think Uh, we can do to help animals in the wild and we've come up with three major uh, interventions which are uh, plausible and also which have the support required to execute them. One which is uh, vaccinating animals as I mentioned animals in the wild suffer from a lot of diseases and there has already been uh, work being done to vaccinate animals but that was being done for instrumental reasons like for the benefit of humans or for the purposes of conservation but we can still vaccinate them on a large scale and protect them. There are uh, animal, wild animals suffering from multiple diseases like brucellosis, uh, the swine fever, and rabies. So it is possible to help them. Uh, it's just that we need to shift the concern from uh, ecosystem conservation of species to the individual well-being of uh, wild animals. Yeah. And uh, two more uh, interventions which we also f- found uh, could be effective were that of uh, helping animals during natural disasters. For example, right now we are researching on how animals are affected by floods and what can be done to help them. Uh, in one of the national sanctuaries in India, which is Kaziranga National Park, uh, every year we have a flood where over 90% of the uh, park is inundated, as I mentioned in the talk. Uh, so the government has constructed artificial highlands where the animals can escape the flood water, which is constructed at an elevated level. So the animals can escape from flood water and can take shelter over there. And again, also government has... Uh, installed food uh, food system for them so that they can get food. And there's also uh, veterinary services on these artificial hives. So again, this is uh, the second way, a second intervention, which we think can help right now. And the third one is uh, uh, urban, urban wild animals. So a lot of people uh, like the, the best starting point to learn about how wild animals uh, suffer and how we can help them Is by focusing on how animals uh, which live in the urban, uh, which are close to the human settlements, like pigeons, or squirrels, are affected and what we can do to help them. And then we can use this data to move on to the wild and to understand how wild animals are affected. And we can use the data which we get from helping urban wild animals to understand more about how the animals which are uh, not in human contact are affected and what we can do to help them. So these are the three things which we think, are three interventions, which we think can be helpful right now. But overall the best thing which we found is promoting more research into the field of welfare biology, which will help, uh, which will encourage more academics and scientists to look into this, uh, field of study and come up with new ways of helping animals. Yeah.
0: All right. So a quick last question. Uh, do you see any specific ways, uh, people could help animal ethics currently?
1: Yes, we would love uh, to accept your support in uh, translation. If you would like to translate the information which is there on our website from English into your regional language, we are happy to take in that. And also uh, if you're interested in any skills that you have uh, that you would like to contribute with, like video editing or website designing, you can just leave me an email on my email ID and we can see how we can collaborate together. Yeah, Thank you so much.
0: All right. Uh, that's all the time we have, uh, but thank you for... Th- Uh, The talk, Aditya, and I hope that all of you enjoy the rest of the conference.
1: Thank you so much. Have a good day.